on October 31st, 1517, a monk named Martin Luther walked up to the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, and he posted a paper on the doors of the state church. His 95 theses attacked the practices of the church. He attacked the indulgence of the church. He attacked the selling of forgiveness by the church. Because it was the state church, Luther was put on trial. He was excommunicated from the church because he thought there were some things worth fighting for. But it's amazing how that one act of courage had a domino effect, and it ignited what's called the Protestant Reformation. Action Church and churches like Action Church exist today because Luther thought there was some things worth fighting for. On April 18, 1945, a factory owner named Oscar Schindler made a list of 1,097 names. He manually typed out every name, 297 women, 800 men. It was a list of names that he wanted to rescue from Nazi concentration camps. In the process of doing this and fighting to set these people free and spending money to set these people free, he lost everything. One of the richest men in the world died broke, but that one act of courage had a domino effect. A half century later, there's more than 6,000 descendants from those people. On December 1st, 1951, a seamstress named Rosa Parks got on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. Segregation laws required black passengers to give up their seats for white passengers. Rosa Parks refused to do it. She was arrested for not being willing to give up her seat to somebody because they had a different color. She lost her job. That one act of courage, a fight that she felt was worth fighting, a risk that she felt was worth taking, had a domino effect. It inspired a citywide boycott. It created a court battle, and within two years, bus segregation was ruled unconstitutional. As you go back through history, and I'm neither historian or play one on television, there's an observation that becomes very clear. Small acts of courage change the course of history. Those who are passionate about something and willing to fight for something change the course of history. Someone sees an injustice, they're willing to fight for that injustice, they're willing to risk everything they have over that injustice. They're willing to do what no one else is willing to do. And it always has a domino effect. We think about people like Martin Luther and Schindler and Parks in heroic terms. But here's the reality of the situation. They didn't know they were making history when they were making history. They were just ordinary people willing to do what no one else was willing to do. They were just ordinary people who were willing to fight for something they believed in because there's some things that are worth fighting for. We're in the second week of a series called Fight, and we're going to be talking about some different subjects today. And I want to talk to you today about a subject that's very near and dear to me. It's a subject I'm very passionate about. And I want to teach you a sermon that I've already taught a couple of times here, but it's one of my favorite subjects. It's always a dangerous thing when I go back. And a couple of weeks ago, I went back and taught about Sun Stand Still, and that's one of my favorite messages. And it always begins to ignite old messages in my thing. And it was always weird. I used to always hear preachers say, man, I don't ever preach the same sermon more than once. And I thought, well, that's weird because we sing the same songs more than once. And the way I run people off from this church, chances are no one heard it the first two times I did it. And those that did hear it, they need to hear it again. And so today I want to talk to you about a subject of fighting for your future. Fighting 
to take risk. And to be honest with you, if this sermon isn't for anybody else today, it's for me because, man, I've lived my life willing to take risk. It kind of what motivates me in life. And I get real, real nervous when I start to feel like I'm not in risk-taking mode. I just came off a crazy period last Saturday. It was probably the busiest seven weeks of my life. And I was relaxing Monday, and it was nice to finally relax after those seven weeks. And Tuesday, I kind of relaxed a little bit, and my brain was still a little bit like mashed potatoes, but I, I could feel it starting to turn back a little bit solid. And by Wednesday, my skin started itching. And Thursday, I was ready to bounce off the walls to realize, man, I got no crazy going on. Let me rephrase that. I have no professional crazy going on in my life right now. There's nothing. I'm a starter. It's just what motivates me in my life. My wife has learned that about me. I love to start things, and I love to create things, and I love to take nothing but an idea and make something out of it. And I got to think, man, I really have nothing coming up. And I realized, man, I need to get back in risk-taking mode. And risk-taking mode can be a dangerous thing. It can be years before you see the benefits of risk-taking mode. But I want to talk to you today about a story that inspires me like no other. <laughs> I believe with everything that is in me, the large majority of us live our life playing it way too safe. We're really not willing to fight for what we want. We're not willing to fight for our purpose. We're not willing to fight for our passion. And what happens is, is we get caught up, for lack of a better word, if you've ever seen the movie, we get caught up in Groundhog Day. Get up, get the kids to school, go to work, come home, have dinner, put the kids to bed, watch TV, go to bed. Get up, get the kids to school, go to work, come home, have dinner, put the kids to bed, go to bed. And before we know it, we're living life simply going through the motions. I think one of the things, I think everybody has unique awareness in their life in certain areas. And for whatever reason, I have this very unique awareness in my life that I get one shot at this thing called life. There are no do-overs. There are no coming back. I don't believe we get to come back as a dog or a tree or another human. When your time here is done, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present before the Lord. And you have one shot at this amazing gift called life. And at the end of your life, you're not going to look back and worry about the things you failed at. You're going to look back and regret the risk that you didn't take. And sometimes your risk won't go the way you think they ought to go. But there comes a time where you at least got to try it. You at least got to attempt it where you can look yourself in the mirror and know, you know what? I sucked this life for everything that it was worth. But very few of us ever do that. We live life safe. We live life going through the motion. The risk we take today determine the future we'll have tomorrow, and we miss that out. We're playing it safe today where we can play it safe in the future, and I get everybody has a different calling on their life. I, I just think so many of us have fallen into this routine of what the world says. Man, you graduate high school and you go to college and you get your job and you work that job for 40 years and you get your gold watch and you retire and then you barely get by and you just live life. Instead of living life and taking life by the horns and riding those eight seconds and going until life gives up on you because you got everything you could out of it. There's some things worth fighting for and I believe risk is worth fighting for. In life, there's those who are willing to take risks and those who aren't. And those who aren't fell a whole lot less than those that are. But they also never lived the life God intends for them to live. This has nothing to do with the sermon today, but I heard a preacher this week. I was listening 
to a podcast, and he was talking about the portion of Scripture where Peter's walking on the water, and Jesus comes to him, and there's a storm going on, and Peter says, if, it's, if that's you, let me come out to you. And so the Lord says, come, and Peter steps out of the boat, and he's walking on the water, but a big wave starts to come, and when the wave starts to come, he takes his eyes off God, and he begins to sink. And this preacher was railing on Peter. He was like, he took his eyes off the Lord, and when you take your eyes off the Lord, you sink. And he basically began to preach a whole sermon. And I get that. I, I, that's a great sermon. Take your eyes off the Lord, life sinks. And he, he was almost talking about Peter negatively. And I thought to myself, Peter did start to sink. But Peter also walked on water. When the other 11 were cowering in the boat, Peter got out of the boat and did what no one else could do. He walked on freaking water. Holy smokes. Like, I'll sink every now and then just for the rush of walking on water. Risk takers change the world. <laughs> you will never change the world playing it safe. In our walk with Christ, we're kind of spoiled in North America, and we don't realize this, but there's a risk involved in following Christ. There's countries where you can literally lose your life for following Christ. That day may come here, and when that day comes here, I wonder how many will still proudly call themselves Christ followers. you got to fight for the risk. There's a very obscure passage in Scripture that I feel confident saying most people have never noticed unless you've heard me teach on it before. And all of my classes in seminary, cemetery, whatever you want to call it, they never went over this. It has no bearing on major doctrinal issues. Chances are only if you've read the Bible straight through have you read this Scripture, and I feel confident as you're reading the Bible straight through and you read the Scripture, you probably just read it and moved on. It's in 2 Samuel 23. To me, it's one of the craziest verses in the Bible, and it's probably one of the most motivating verses in the Bible to me. I preached on it, like I said, a few times, but you can't do a series called Fight and not talk about this portion of Scripture. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 23, Benaniah, a valiant fighter, performed great exploits. This is talking about the mighty men of David here. David had this group of men who believed in him. He had this group of men who were just bad to the bone. And they were willing to go to war with David. And what? Hey, every man needs a group of men. Every lady needs a group of ladies. You need a crew that you can roll up in. And they're going to have your back. No, hey, even when you're wrong, they're going to have your back publicly. Now, privately, they might beat the crap out of you. But publicly, they're ready to go to war. And David had it. They were called the mighty men. Benaniah performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. So here's this one dude, goes up against Moab and strikes down their two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and he killed a lion. He struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaniah went against him with just a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. That's a bad dude. So this dude rolls up on you, you take his weapon, and then you kill him with his own weapon. That's back to the bone right there. If you go into war, you want Benaniah. And it's easy to read this verse and gloss over what's happened because what you need to understand in the context of 2 Samuel 23 is they're just naming men after men after men after men and their great exploits. There were some bad dudes in there. There were some dudes that killed a lot of guys. There was people who stood in a field and fought an entire army to protect the last patch of peas because he knew the men couldn't eat without it. There's some bad dudes in these stories, but there's none badder than Ben and I, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But as I'm reading this, he struck down two men, he killed the Egyptian. The one that strikes me the most is it says he also went down into a pit on a snowy day and he killed a lion. You're walking along. It's snowing. There's a pit. There's a lion in the pit. I would think if the lion's in a pit, he's probably stuck in the pit. He's no harm to anybody. 
and you jump down in a pit and you kill the lion, the king of the jungle. Now, I love the circus. I've been watching this documentary on Netflix on the circus. And, and I loved when they got to the lion tamers. But I, I've never heard of a lion chaser. I've heard of people who come along and they tame the lions. But I've never heard of anybody who comes along and is just so dumb or so brave, because it's a fine line, that they're willing to chase the lion. <laughs> ben and I didn't have a hunting rifle. He wasn't cruising around in a Land Rover. He was no game park safari. He, he, and Scripture doesn't tell us what he's doing or where he was going. But we know that for whatever reason, he encountered a lion. We don't know what his frame of mind was. But Scripture does reveal his gut reaction. Your gut reaction is automatically who you are, no matter what. <laughs> and his gut reaction was gutsy, to say the least. To me, it ranks as one of the most improbable reactions recorded in Scripture because here's the deal. When the image of a man-eating beast travels through the optical nerve, it registers with the visual cortex, the brain has an overarching message immediately. Run. You're cruising through the woods. You're cruising through the prairie. You're cruising through the desert. Bam, out of the corner of your eyes, a lion. I don't know about you, but my first reaction, my gut reaction, the thing that comes natural to me is run. Lion bad, part of the cat family will eat me. Demonic in every sense, the king of the cats. The king, like, they're like the Lucifer of the cats. Cats are evil. The lion's the most evil of them all. I'm running. That's a normal reaction. Normal people run when they see a lion. Normal people run as far and as fast as they can. But lion chasers are wired differently. They seize life for every moment that it has. They're willing to fight when no one's willing to fight because they know at the end of the day, life and what happens with their life will be built upon the risk that they take. <laughs> for the large majority of us, the only lions that we've ever encountered were either stuffed or they were caged. Very few of us have ever even experienced hand-to-hand -hand combat where we were forced to fight for our lives. But put yourself in Benaniah's shoes. You're walking along. It's snowing. It's cold. Out of the corner of your eye, you see something crawling. I, I don't know how close or how far away the lion was. And I would imagine that his vision was obscured because the snow's falling. It's a snowy day. But there had to be that moment, and we've all been there in that moment, when Benaniah and the lion, when Benaniah and the risk in your life, bam, locked eyes. Pupils dilate. Muscles tense. Adrenaline begins to rush. And your heart's pounding. Sweat's forming. And a large majority of us, we start running. But this was a Hollywood moment for Ben and I. I mean, imagine you're at Riverstone Cinemas and you're in the big theater. Those black leather chairs, THX surround sounds going on all around you. And the screen is dark, except for the white snow, because they're filming this in the dark, because they want you to get this gritty. And Benaniah, man, he's a rough-looking dude. He's a bad dude. We know he's a bad dude. He, he, I mean, he killed two, Mo, he killed two Moabs and killed the Egyptian. And he's a rough dude. He's been around the block. He maybe even got a couple of scars on his face. I mean, I, I picture Benaniah with like the manliest beard ever. Okay. I mean, he sees it. 
as you're watching it, man, your knuckles begin to turn white as you're gripping the seat next to you. Your blood pressure escalates. I'm picturing, I don't know how many of you watch this, but I'm picturing the directors of Game of Thrones making this movie. I mean, we're sitting there. We're gripping, man. We don't know what's about to happen. The, the entire audience is real quiet. This is one of them moments in the theater. No one's eating popcorn. There's that one freaking annoying kid that some parents shouldn't have brought to the movie in the first place, and it's making a little bit of noise. But, man, you're not even focused on that kid at this moment. You are focused on the screen. Most of the times in the movie, the way this kind of encounter would come down is lion encounters tend to be scripted the same way. Man runs away. Lion chases man. King of beasts eats man which, literally, man which, for lunch. But not this time. Almost as improbable as falling upwards, or the second hand on your watch moving counterclockwise, the lion locks eyes with Benaniah and begins to run. That's how bad Benaniah was. Now, if I was bad enough to run into a lion in the middle of nowhere, and for whatever reason the lion took off running, I'm going to be good with that. I'm going to the pub, and I'm going to tell that story to everyone. Dude, I was walking through the middle of nowhere. Oh, I saw a lion. I locked eyes with that lion. That lion instantly knew not to mess with me, and it ran. That's going to be my story. Not Benaniah. The lion starts to run, and Benaniah begins to chase it. Now, I want you to picture this with me. The camera is ground level. All it's showing is the feet. The snow's kicking up. The music's playing. The snow's hitting the ground. It's dark. You can barely see. And, man, this is a phenomenal scene from a movie. You know, lions can run up to 35 miles per hour. They can leap 30 feet in a single bound. The reality is, is Ben and I doesn't stand a chance of catching this lion. It's impossible for him to catch the lion, but he chases it anyway. <laughs> then the lion makes one critical misstep. The ground gives away underneath its 500-pound frame. It falls into a pit. The pit is covered up with snow. I'm sure the lion, for those of you that are animal rights, people landed on his feet. It's a freaking cat. It's good. Again, no one's eating popcorn. No one's uttering a word. Eyes are fixed on the screen. And Benaniah begins to approach the pit. He looks down in the pit. I don't know how deep the pit was. I know that when our parking lot had a sinkhole about a month and a half ago, initially it was about 20 feet deep. Just like that. The next day, it was about 25 feet deep. The next day, it was about 30 feet deep. So I would imagine it was a pretty deep hole that the lion fell into. I would imagine in my common sense way, Ben and I walked up there to make sure the lion was down there and wasn't going to be able to get out and affect anybody else. And Ben and I begins to walk away. And everybody gives this sigh of relief thinking, oh, he made it. But he gets about 100 feet away, and he stops, and he turns back to the pit, and everyone's like, oh, no, he's not. I'm, I'm going to regret saying this, and someone's going to say I'm being racist, and I'm not trying to be racist. It just is what it is. Anybody ever been to the movies with a bunch of black folks? Okay. They talk the whole time. I'm not, I don't mean that in a judgmental. I just mean I never had experienced that before. I remember the very first time I ever went to a movie, and I was the only white guy in the movie. It was The Hangover. And they talked the entire time to the movie. 
And so I can just picture this right now. He turns around to everybody. It's like, oh, no, you're not. Don't you do it like he can hear you. I know he ain't so crazy that he's about to run back to that pit. But Ben and I stops 100 feet out. He turns back around, and we find out he's just getting a running start. And with a full head of steam and with everything that is in him, he doesn't even think about it. And this is one of those moments that I imagine you look back on and you think to yourself, what was I thinking? I think Christine has that moment every time she thinks back to our wedding. What was I thinking? This had to be one of those moments. Because who in their right mind chases lions? <laughs> Aniah begins to run. He's had that moment to collect his thoughts, regain his sanity, get a grip on reality. And his reality is this. Normal people don't chase lions, but I'm not living life normal. <laughs> the camera pans out. You see the footprints going off into the pit. <laughs> it's a PG-13 movie, so it doesn't go down and show us what happens in the pit. It scans out and you hear a fight taking place and you hear fists being thrown and lions screaming and grunting from Benaniah and then suddenly dead silence and we get that freeze frame. There's that moment. Who's coming out of the pit? <laughs> Everybody in the theater says, man, that was a good movie. Too bad he's dead now. Everybody expects to see the lion's head poke up over the pit. And maybe it's a little bruised and it's a little battered and that makes Ben and I look tough because he put a little fight into it. But after a few agonizing moments of suspense, the shadow of a man begins to come up out of that pit. Paul marks crisscross his face. He has a spear in his arms. And we see that Ben and I has won one of the most improbable victories in all of Scripture. In a pit, on a snowy day, and he killed a lion. Now, Scripture doesn't give us that blow-by-blow -blow description, but that's how my mind works. This book is a lie. It didn't go in some nice, safe manner. You don't jump in a pit with a lion, and it'd be something quick and something easy. There was build-up to it, and no matter how you look at it, it made no sense but Ben and I knew, man, there's some things we're fighting for, and this is a risk I'm willing to fight for. It was a life-changing moment for Ben and I, and today I want to show you some principles from this story. Because here's what I believe. I believe the large majority of you are one risk away from changing your life. I believe the large majority of you are one decision away from living the life you were created for. I believe the large majority of you have been living life and you've got it in your head that there has to be something more than this, but you're stuck going through the motions. You're stuck in the tyranny of the urgent. You're stuck just on the, on the groundhog day of life and you're, you're discontent and you know there has to be more to like this and you know there has to be something more and you know you were created for something bigger and you know you have a purpose and you know you have a passion and you know God's birthed something in you and you want to step out on faith, but... You're not willing to take the risk. If there's anything in life worth fighting for, it's the risk in your life. The risk you take today will change the future of your life. The risk you take today will literally set the course of your life. And at the end of your life, you're going to look back with regret on the risk you didn't take. It doesn't make sense to us what Benaniah did. But it will as the story unfolds. The first thing I want you to notice is this. Risk doesn't make sense to anyone other than the one taking the risk. Risk doesn't make sense to anyone other than the one taking the risk. There's nobody anywhere in their right mind who would have looked at Ben and I and said, yes, that makes sense. Dude, you know what you ought to do? Like people say, well, if they've been drinking, no, no, no. You'd have to get drunk to the point you passed out before you do that, and you'd be passed out so you wouldn't incur. This ain't even a hold my beer moment. 
I've had some hold my beer moments, and even in my hold my beer moments, I was never like, yes, go jump in that pit without lying. Do it. <clears throat> you run from lions. You don't chase them. This made no sense to anyone but Benaniah. I don't know what Benaniah's reasons were, but he had his reasons. You say, how do you know he had his reasons? Because nobody takes this kind of risk. There's not reasons for taking it. He might have just wanted a challenge that day. Some people just want a challenge in life. I'm kind of wired that way. My wife is actually kind of wired that way. We're wired that way in different areas. But we all want challenges. The lion might have been terrorizing villagers, and he was sick of it. I don't know the reason behind it. He might have been out in the snow, might have been cold. He said, I need a lion skin coat. I, I don't know what his reason it was. But let me make something clear to you today. God is in the business of putting us right where he wants us when he wants us there. I'm going to say that again. God is in the business of putting us right where he wants us when he wants us there. Benaniah was right where he was supposed to be. The opportunity was there. The risk was there. And it was his decision. I can run from this risk and always wonder, could I beat that lion? Or you can say, let's find out. I don't think anybody would have bet on Benaniah winning this fight. Probably not even the most riskiest of gamblers. I would say at a minimum he was a 500 to 1 underdog, would you? Man doesn't beat lion. And then you add snowy conditions on game day, and I would figure those would help the lion. I don't understand the reason, and I don't know the reason, but whatever the reason was, it didn't make sense to anybody else, but it made perfect sense to Benaniah to jump into a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Listen to me today, that risk you're thinking about taking. Your mom might not understand it. Your dad might not understand it. Your friends might not understand it. Your spouse might not understand it. Now, here's the deal with your spouse. They might not understand it, but don't do it without their blessing. There's been plenty of things in my life my wife didn't understand. But she's like, go for it. I don't understand why you have this crazy idea, but go for it. But unless you got a ring on it, you ain't even got to have that criteria. Who cares what mommy thinks? Who cares what daddy thinks? Who cares what friends think? Who cares what co-workers think? Because here's the deal. They're living life safe. They might be living life successful, but they're still living life safe. They're living life going through the motions. They've become comfortable in their discomfort, and they don't want to see you go out and chase a risk because, man, if you succeed, it highlights the fact that they haven't had the testicular fortitude to do it. Risk doesn't make sense to anyone other than those taking the risk. Listen, my life has been filled with risk. Starting this church was a risk. Thirteen people said, let's start a church. That made no sense. Two out of three churches fell within the first two years. Made no sense. Then we started this church in the middle of the summer. That made no sense. You don't start a church in the summer. Church tends declines in the summer. <laughs> then we moved to the poorest part of town. And that makes no sense. Don't you? Everybody knows you go where the money's at. While the churches, I, I, I just can't believe while the churches move out of town. Well, let's get out of the city and move out to where the golf communities are. Let's move out where the big nice houses are where they can help pay the bills. Let's leave the void in the city and then we said you know <laughs> let's do church for those that don't do church you know my line on that that'd be like starting a steakhouse for vegetarians just doesn't make a lot of sense but dang 
eight, seven, whatever, how many years later, we're still here. We're beat up and battered. Almost closed it down about 72 times. Run everybody off. They run them off. They come back. Run them off. They come back. Run them off. They come back. We say, dang, three times. What does keep you? Church full of people who don't feel accepted in other churches. It doesn't make sense. This place doesn't make sense. Started this church when the economy was at all-time low. Moved over to this side of the building. It didn't make sense. It was comfortable over there. Rent was $750 a month. That was nice. I remember those days. Remember the days when there was only one electric bill and one water bill? It was easy. But dang, we prayed for this building forever and it came open. We took the risk. Life is full of risk. <laughs> People thought we were stupid to do this. People still think we're stupid to do this. Everything we've ever done here has been a risk. Do you notice how the computer was working today? You know why the computer was working today? Because instead of uh, paying rent, I bought a computer this week, knowing that next week you're going to give enough to cover it. Because you've got to have a computer to run the screens. You say, well, what if we can't pay rent? It's not an option. It's a risk. God always provides. Always. My marriage was a risk. I remember Tanya May saying, Gary, you know you can date her without marrying her. You don't got to marry her. And I said, yeah, but man, kind of dig her. And then everybody said, she's awesome, she's incredible. But you know who her daddy is? I said, I get it. But dang. And we've been through hell and back in five and a half years. She should have left a lot of times. But life's a risk. I started a barbecue and brews festival, and it was a risk. We had no money to start festivals. I remember going to her and saying, I need to take this amount of money out of savings. Oh, by the way, this amount of money is how much we have in the savings. And the first one made money. And the second one didn't. And the third one didn't. And the fourth one didn't. And the fifth one didn't. And the sixth one didn't. We never lost money, but we never made money. And I told her, I said, I'm done last fall. She said, give it one more year, and let's take the risk. A month ago was our most profitable one ever. And last week, it poured rain all weekend, and we still made a profit. You just take risks. And then I remember my wife coming in and saying, hey, I got this job opportunity. It means I got to travel a lot. And I said, well, what does that mean? So on those weeks, you're going to hire a full-time person to come in the house and babysit? Because I don't need a babysitter. I have a husband. And it's not called babysitting. It's called being my partner and helping raise kids. And I was like, yeah, but, 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 but. And she said, you're a grown boy. Figure it out. And it was horrible. And now I'm like the pimp dad. And they're going, I got this. I'm up on the road, man. I got him dropping this kid off from school and getting this done. Like, I should do it in my sleep. Now, it doesn't hurt that she goes to the grocery store beforehand and has all the meals laid out and has all the clothes laid out for the kids that I have to get dressed to make sure they match. And she does a lot of work. But, man, I got it down like a machine. And here's the amazing thing about her working. For the first time ever in my life, and I'm 43 years old, like, because she goes out and works when we have money in the bank. It's amazing. But we took a risk. And then I was bringing my son to watch wrestling shows, and I said, this is horrible. Why don't we just start our own? Because if i got to come, I'd rather do my own because I'm a control freak. And then I just found out, like, this week that in eight months we're already, like, the fourth biggest promotion in the country. That's insane. It's insane. And, and I'm not just doing it to brag because all, all I can do is tell you the risk I've taken. But you can list risk after risk after risk after risk, I remember Speedy, me going to Speedy, my first barbecue and brews festival. And he's like, I got a production company. And I was like, I've never seen him run production in my life, does he? And they said, well, he's got speakers. 
I went to him and said, hey, I need you to run sound for my first event. Here's the I have no money to pay you. So I need you to do it for free. He said, okay. And then all of his friends said, you're a fool. Why would you do that for free? And I looked at myself. I said, I know that's not fair for me to ask you to do it for free, man, but I don't have any money. I need you to do it for free. And he took a risk. And then that night he landed the City of Canton contract. He's been running the City of Canton every event they do for four years. And he's run our events. He's got the Atlanta Beer Festival. Because he took a risk. And I remember being on Facebook one time and seeing friends you may know, and it said Phil May, and I said, man, that's that jerk that quit on me at my last church and had a bad temper and threw stuff off the stage. It's always my version of the story. And uh, Phil said one day he's going to tell his version. I'm really worried about that. And uh, I said, man, we're desperate. Let's call this guy. I said, hey, remember me? I remember you. I'm gonna, I'll come lead worship one time. I'm going to do it the way I want to. I was like, man, whatever. Let him do it. Like eight years later, he's still here every week leading us. Can you imagine anybody else but Phil leading worship here? It was a risk. It was a risk. Like their best friends in life can't even stand me. Like that's what a risk it was. It didn't make sense to anybody in their life. You're going to go lead worship with Gary? Here he is. Man. People won't understand the risk. Real life is full of risk. There'll come a time in your life where you're going to have to take a risk and others aren't going to understand that risk. You might have to take a risk as it involves your career. Someone told me coming in today, they said, my side hustle has gotten to the point where, man, I either got to continue to grow it or let it stop growing or I got to quit my full-time job. That's scary. Oh, man, but that gets me going. It might involve your marriage. Everybody might be telling you to walk out of that person, to leave them, and you're like, man, I see something and I'm sticking with it. Or it might be everybody's telling you to stay, and you're like, I don't know. Life's full of risk. There might be a radical decision as it pertains to your children, and no one else understands it, but guess what? You're your kid's best parent, and you make that decision. Here's the deal. I don't know what that risk is today, but I know that you're in a stage where that risk might change the course of your life, and hey, risk doesn't make sense to anybody else but the one taking the risk. And that's okay. Check this out. The risk you take today will impact your tomorrow. Ben and I took a huge risk here. He jumped into a pit with a lion on a snowy day. But look what happened a few verses later. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. King David, who's got all these mighty men, put him in charge of the people who protected King David. I can't think of too many places I'd rather not be than in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Getting stuck in a pit with a lion on a snowy day is on nobody's wish list. It's on nobody's goal. Hey, yo, YOLO, you only live once. Can't wait to get stuck in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, you only live once for that moment. <laughs> it's a death wish. But you got to admit, I killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Excuse my language, but it looks pretty damn good on a resume. David's going through the resumes. I measured in security at the University of Jerusalem. Nope. I did an internship with the Palace Guard. Nada. I worked for Brinks Armored Chariots. Thanks, but no thanks. Then he comes to a resume, and it just says, I killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. I don't believe David called any of the references I don't believe he got on Facebook to check out what kind of guy this was he said this dude jumped into a pit with a lion on a snowy day that's the kind of dude I want protecting me that's the kind of dude I want leading the people who are protecting me that's the kind of dude that I want being the mightiest of my mighty men lion chasers Make great bouncers. 
That decision that day changed the course of David's life. We don't ever know what would have happened had he not jumped into a pit with a lion on a snowy day. He might not have ever became a mighty man. If he had not become one of David's mighty men, he never might have became the leader of the mighty men. And it literally would have lived a life going through the motions, but the risk changed his life. The risk you take today will dictate your tomorrow. Keep doing what you've been doing. You'll keep getting what you've been getting. I don't understand why nothing changes because you keep doing the same tired crap. I just don't feel like why this is always going on. Cause you, I don't understand why we don't ever have any money because you keep spending your money the same way. Don't understand why my relationship with my spouse is so bad because neither one of you are willing to grow and put the other one first and put each other in your own shoes and do whatever it takes to make it work. Hello? Don't understand why my relationship with my kids is so bad because you keep doing the same thing over and over and over. I just don't understand why I hate this job and I just have a job that has no purpose because you're stuck in that job. Which probably has the reason you're stuck in that job because you ain't done the right thing with your finances so you can't leave that job because you're a prisoner to it. I'm not saying in a vicious circle. But if you take a risk, if you take a risk, you jump in that pit, you fight that lion, you change your life. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you decide in your own heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God is a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You say, why treat a verse about giving? Because here's the deal. For so many of you, giving is your lion. You're scared to death to give back to God what's his. You're scared to death to take that risk. But you don't realize that if you jump in that pit with that lion on that snowy day, it would literally change the course of your life. I still get messages from people from our January series. Man, God opened up this door, and God opened up this door, and we were scared to death in this area, and we stepped out and did that. Listen, you have got to step out in faith. I have no doubt, zero doubt, that the reason God has blessed Christian and I in 2019 financially like he has is because for the last four years when we didn't have two pennies to rub together, when I tell you we didn't have two, every time we'd make a buck, something would break. Every time. Man, we, we added it up recently. We probably have spent eighteen dollars to $20,000 in the last five years on lawyers. Lawyers. Consequences for your actions. What happens when you fighting for your kids. I mean, we'd get money and be like, man, we're around to that corner. Man, we're around that corner. And there was a lot of times it had been nice to have that money that we were going to give back. But it wasn't our money to keep. And God's blessed. See, it sounds like you're bragging. I'm not, I'm not bragging. But I don't feel guilty either. I don't feel ashamed. I used to feel ashamed like, oh, the pastor can't make money. Oh, man, I thank God the pastor makes money. I told you, I changed my prayer. My prayer used to be, God, send me a millionaire who can help pay the bills. And I said, no, God, make me a millionaire. That way I can make sure this place can, through the way you bless me, we can make sure this place keeps going. I have no shame in my game on that. But we were giving we had nothing to give. We were jumping in that pit with that lion on a snowy day. Boom, boom, boom. My wife's more passionate about it than I am now. She's a beast about it. So when those seeds yesterday, taking those risks yesterday, have paid off today. Here's the last thing and I'm done. I know we got to get out of here. Most people will never take the risk. Check out what it says. David says, he was held, he being Benaniah, in greater honor than any of the 30. So David's got these 30 mighty men, these bad dudes, man. And honor is an interesting thing. I, I like to do a series on honor one day. Respect is earned. I believe that. Honor's given. Whether the person receiving it deserves it or not. That's why the Bible says we're to honor our father and our mother. There's some parents who don't deserve honor. 
Let's just be honest. Some of you had some crappy parents. Mother's Day's hard for you. You don't have to respect your parents, but the Bible says we to honor our parents. Honor something I choose to give you no matter what, even though you don't deserve it. I choose to honor my kids' other parents. I don't agree with them. I don't always agree with Emily's dad or my ex-wife, but, but I choose to honor them because they're the parents of my kids. I don't have to respect them, but I choose to honor them. David chose to honor Benaniah more greatly than any of the 30. There was something about him that was different than the other 30. I don't know what it was, but I, I, I think deep inside of me, it was the fact that he jumped in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. You say, why not the other things he did? Because all of them won great battles. All of them went to war with men. Sometimes when you're in a fight with men, yeah, you have no choice but to fight. He had a choice with the lion. I don't care how dramatic the story is, and I made it pretty dramatic. At the end of the day, the lion was in a pit, and he wasn't. Since he went down into the pit, he could have walked away and left that lion there to die. He would have died. But he chose to go down there and fight a battle he didn't have to fight. I believe David looked at him and said, man, he's different than all the others. There's just something a little off about him that I dig. He's willing to take risks. And when it comes to the men around me, I want to know that I have risk takers. The other 29 didn't do that. We don't know if they would have done that. But Benaniah did it. David had 30 mighty men. Yet he honored Benaniah more than the others. Benaniah was the lion chaser. <laughs> Risk taking is something very few people will do. It will set you apart from all others. It will enable you to live the life that other people aren't willing to live because they're not willing to take the risk. There's some things in life worth fighting for. And so my question is, are you willing to fight today? Are you willing to fight for the life you were created for? Are you willing to take that risk in your marriage? Are you willing to take that risk in um, raising your children? Are you willing to take that risk in doing what you want to? Are you willing to take that risk in forgiving someone who hurt you even though they never asked for it? Stand close, preacher. <laughs> There's a lion in your life. I don't know what it is, but you do.